Okay, whoa, okay, I got a new microphone, so life's good. Let's, uh, let's have a run. People are all over the place this morning, that's good. So we, we're happy when people are goofing around with each other, that's just great. Uh, it was a nice morning with the baptism and all that. Let's pray and then we'll chat about some stuff. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who loves mankind with a pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to understand your gospel. Implant in us the fear of your blessed commandments. Trample down all carnal desires that we may enter into a spiritual manning of living, both thinking and doing those things that are well-pleasing to you. For you are the illumination of our souls and our bodies, O Christ our God. And to you we ascribe all glory, together with the Father, who is from everlasting, and your all-holy good life-creating spirit, now and ever, ages unto ages. Amen. That's pretty nice. So that's good Trinitarian stuff there. Okay, a lot of stuff. Let's see, Pastor Nelson is away with the kids. He's a nice young man, Pastor Nelson. Come on, if you go away with the confirmation kids overnight, not one night, but two nights, uh, that's good. Someplace there was, uh, did somebody pick up the sign-in list? Oh, good. I thought I brought it up and I didn't find it, but I could be getting older, Mr. Heck. You don't know, I don't remember everything all the time, right? So, uh, yeah, Young Bukes is doing well. So you're very fortunate to have those two guys uh, as your younger pastors. It's very, very nice. Those guys are good guys. Uh, Oktoberfest on Friday, so come along. Uh, we'll provide the food. You bring something to drink. Is anybody micro-ruined for this thing? Have we heard rumblings of that? Maybe not. All right, so you just need to bring whatever you, whatever, bring what you're bringing. Uh, but they'll, it should be fabulous as always. Bring your friends. It'll all be fine. Carol, how many people are we planning for? Does anybody know? Okay, Lindsay probably knows, but I didn't see her yet. So anyway. All right, good. Hi, Karen Crawford, what do you want to say? No, we don't RSVP for anything because, frankly, we know you're unreliable. So, um, you know, here's the thing. Everybody's too busy to RSVP. If you want to, you and Dave, are you and Dave coming? Yeah, but Carol, they're coming. There we go. That's just wrong. How can you plan? See, the thing is, try to remember half the people here are under 32. They're different from you and from me. You know, they're going to decide about eight minutes to six that they're going to come at 6.39. So, you know, RSVPing, I mean, if they RSVP at eight minutes to six, it's not going to help us that much. You know where I'm going here? Come on, love me, Karen. You love me. I do, but I don't get it. I know you don't. Well, <laughs> welcome to the world, young lady. There's a lot of things I don't get. Uh, we're probably, we're putting money in a basket. The Hex have already got money in. You want to be like the Hex, so throw some money in your basket. What are we doing? Lindsay didn't say what we're doing. Okay, wait, let me think. Oh, we'll give it to the, to the food kitchen down, downtown, okay? San Pablo, they always need money, so that's good. They, plus, Thanksgiving's coming, so they'll be doing a lot of work there. What else? Um, did everybody sign up for automatic giving? So we're looking for 100% participation by noon. So you can RSVP on that if you want, Ms. Crawford and everybody else. So have a run at that. It makes our lives easier, okay? We're a little skinnier these days with with staff, and it's, it takes about three steps out of what we have to do, so I'm not happy with my new Bible. It's too big. It's, uh, you know, when I put it down, it starts to do this, and that's not helpful, so. Yeah, do you really trust that? Yes. See, look at you. 
I know. You know, the, the thing is, whether you could actually preach from that, I think about it sometimes, right? Because what happens if the battery runs out? You are always 100% when you come to church. Yes, you are. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm never, you know, I don't know. Something about paper and I don't know. All right, anything else that we should be thinking about? Come to Oktoberfest because otherwise all the food will go to the Crawford's house because you didn't RSVP, okay? <laughs> A German dinner for two, three hundred if... Uh, no, but come, come, and bring, bring, bring what you're going to drink. Bring beer if you're drinking beer. Bring soda. Just bring your drinks. Everything else, I think, uh, is taken care of. Okay, you good? Uh, all right, so I'm going to just kind of quickly go back where we've been. So the creed's boring. Everybody knows the creed's boring. Or maybe I'm boring. That could be the possibility, too, right? So maybe, maybe, Jesus, is less, maybe Jesus is not boring, and, 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 and we are. So I'm trying to get you to think about the creed, um, in a different way. Now, somebody said to me a few weeks ago, and you guys, you flip through the creed so fast, I can't think about all of it. And I think to myself, you know, if you think about all of it, you're probably the fourth member of the Holy Trinity. Because I know what happens is like, in the lit- one of the reasons the liturgy is there for you is when you, when you, you know, wander away and you start thinking about other things, hey, we're going to be there when you come back. And so is the baby Jesus. He'll be waiting for you. So, you know, of course, pay attention and think about it. But one thing that happens when you start to think in the liturgy is that you wander away. And um, don't worry, we have all sorts of things that will grab your attention. We light things on fire. We ring bells to wake you up. We say amen really loud to let you know, hey, we're all going to do something else now. You should come along. It's like that, right? So you should pay attention to that. So I, I started with the little pop quiz about Buddha and Madonna. The point of that is, of course, is that you actually um, need to pay attention. We're probably not going to get there all the way today, but I've given you... You know, number three, the, the outline number three. You can take that home and have a look at it. That's basically why you don't have to be so worried or angry about what's happening in the world. Um, you know, the problem is we got used to being in charge. But, you know, we had a big lead with 1,700 years left, and we blew it. So, you know, it's our fault. If we're not in charge again, it's because we didn't handle it well. And, um, you know, the, tr- the church should have maybe been defied by love rather than hate, and things would have worked out a little better. But... You know, now it'll have to, you know, dribble down to nothing, and Jesus will have to come back again and sort things out. So that's his business. But I gave you a little bit about reason, science, and faith at the end of number three. We'll talk about that. It's a gentle way to think, and I hope it'll make you, it'll sort of give you some pause. But we're not going to probably get there, but we'll do that next week, okay? So I started by saying, here's a reason you should pay attention to the creed, because Jesus is very tender, He's very tender-hearted with you. He's a very tender human being. In fact, you have the Luther quote today in the bulletin where he says, if you, if you look at the cross long enough, it'll scare, it'll scare you. But he says, you know, think beyond the cross to the tender heart of Jesus, right? There's Luther saying, it's all about Jesus' tender heart, and from that tender heart pours love. So that's where it starts. And if the creed is used as a weapon... You know, if it is used to batter other people down, it's frankly not so helpful. And I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to say this today because I'm not going to get there, but I'll say it to you so you can tuck it away. I mean, one of the things that the creed does that relativizes your life, you know, you're going to drop dead someday, and then you're going to live for a really long time in a really good place. And that, you see, is why you don't have to be so angry or afraid. It's not your duty to sort the world out. We went through this at the beginning. Jesus says... Give everything to everybody everywhere. Boom, boom, boom. Everything to everybody everywhere. Matthew 28. 
is teach other people to treasure things up. Treasure these things up and teach everybody everywhere everything I gave you to treasure up. It's a very loving way to talk about the world. It's the way that Mary felt after the shepherds had left. And she treasured up all these things in her heart, right? The church has not always, and I've kind of been on this for a couple of years, the church has not always been a very good witness because it's too often been defined by being angry and afraid rather than loving and accepting, right? Doesn't mean we don't have standards. Later we'll talk about you know, the, how the creed is a canon. The creed, the creed is a straight line. You know, and the reason you have straight lines is then you know a crooked line when you meet one. But you have to separate the anger and the fear because it's not yours to sort out. In the end, Jesus himself will sort it out. Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus himself reads hearts. Jesus himself decides who's true and who's not. Your business is that little blurb from Titus that was in the, um, was in the, in the bulletin toward the end, which is the Lord, you know, the Lord has created you to do good works, eagerly do good. But such, that's your job. You go do good and you let the chips fall where they fall. Or as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Turn the other cheek, you know, do good to those that hate you, lend money from pe- to people who are never going to repay you, and expect nothing in return. Right? And too often our trouble is, and maybe the reason this got old and boring is because we expected things in return. What you're meant to do is rejoice in this and let it live out through you. And then what happens is kind of what happens here. I mean, there must have been 10 new families here in the first service. Um, you know, and a lot of them are because they know you. They like you, your friends. They meet somebody. They saw somebody, Right? Everything to everybody, everywhere, in the way of love. So that was sort of the first work, first week. And then, um, you know, last week I tried to say to you, you know, that Jesus, one of the great things is that Jesus tells you who you are. Now this is different from, you know, the way the church maybe has approached this for the last 30 or maybe the last 300 years. You know, so often with the Enlightenment, the church, the, the last 300 years, you know, in the world, the church was considered a data dump. Learn a lot of things. This is, to me, the sole reason why we wait to commune kids till 13 or 14. They have to know enough stuff. Faith is not knowing a lot of stuff, right? Because there's, I just tell you, you know, you push that hard enough, none of us could go to the Eucharist. We just, we just don't know enough stuff. Here's what you need to know. Catechism. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus touches you and gives you every good grace and saves you forever and ever, amen, right? That's what you need to know. That's what the small catechism says. So um, one of the reasons to engage the creed is, is, is um, that you learn about who you are. And that's the underlying. If you just read, you know, in the morning I sort of creep onto my wife's, um, not on her Facebook, but just the posts that come up. I tell you what, 80% of the posts could be described as people to trying to figure out who they are in the world. Maybe 90%. If you just read, if you just read behind what people, why people are asking questions or even the explicit questions they ask, they're just trying to make sense of the world. They do it in all different ways. They do it by you know, judging other people. They do it by judging themselves. They do it by despairing. You know, people are pulling their hair out. You know, it's, uh, it, it is, you know... That is not your issue, not your primary issue. 
because Jesus tells you who you are. The great prayer, you know, the great prayer that we pray at the end of a baptism. And now that this one has become your child, right? That's who you are. You're a child of God. Now, why are you a child of God? Because God chose to baptize you. Why are you in the family of God? Because God chooses to give you the Eucharist. Why will you spend eternity before the face of God? Because God chooses to show you the way home. That's who you are. So, you know, I sort of gave you this little, this little um, tagline. Jesus tells me who I am by telling me who he is. So that's a reason for the creed. When you come to the creed, you say to yourself, this is who I am because this is who God is. Right? You know, I'm alternately, you know, um, proud and in despair. You know, I'm filled with self-deception and self-interest and self-justification. You are too. That's, you know, to say that we're sinners, to have original sin, is just to say that everything we see is always a little askew. Everything we hear, we just don't process well. When we think, we don't think clearly. It's only once God has gathered us back that we begin to understand who we are. Um, So the relationship, my relationship with God is revelation. God tells me who I am. Now, people don't like that. Because, of course, we don't like to be told anything. Because, of course, we're masters of the universe, right? We can do anything. Or can we? We should just just think about America right now. So just test this phrase after this not even finished weekend toward a presidential debate tomorrow night. I just, true or false, you know, for 100%, just one question. Is it true? That we can do anything. Is it true that we're masters of our universe? Is it true that we can fix everything? We can fix nature, hurricane. We can fix each other, presidential election. We can fix ourselves, Facebook. We can fix anything. Can we fix anything? Is it really true? Because for 300 years, the world has told us that we can fix anything. That's the soul. These problems are our problems, and we'll fix our problems without God. Thank you very much. Can it, can it get worse? I mean, I'm not talking about Siri where people are shooting each other. I'm just talking about morally. Can we get worse? Yeah, we can. I mean, we can, but, you know, are we fixing ourselves? Is this what we really wanted? Are people really together? Are they really calm? Are their hearts full of love or are they full of hate? Are full, are hearts peaceful or, or are they very much afraid? You tell me, did it work? Did the last 300 years work? When we decided we would have um, religion within the realm of reason. So God had to play by our rules, otherwise he can't play at all. Did it work? Well, the creed would suggest to you perhaps it didn't work so well. And maybe we would have learned more from you know, people who go sit in the desert and think about the baby Jesus alone for 20 years, eat bugs and drink water, than we would from like reading letters to the editor in Vogue. Maybe, maybe that's a better source of knowledge. But you know what? At the end of the day, everybody pays their money and takes your choice. And you don't have to be angry about that. I mean, this is one of, the, one, of the, one of the off-putting things about the church is that we're angry that everybody else isn't like us. I mean, Jesus was rarely angry. In fact, today, those lepers weren't like him at all. It was a fascinating little sermon. You know, of course, they're so, they're so I was thinking as Bukes was preaching about this, they're so, they're so discombobulated that when he says, Go show yourself to the priest. They don't know that he's the priest. And he says, go to the temple. And they don't know he's the temple, right? Because they can't see straight. They can't hear. They can't think. 
have no idea. So, um, you know, is there anything solid? This is where I... And so then I tried to convince you last week that Emmaus was solid, right? Now, it is not, and I'll do this one all the way when we get to next week. I probably won't get to it today. It's not solid in the way of mathematical proof, but very few things that you believe in are solid in the way of mathematical proof. Math is a, is a clever game. It's beautiful. It's poetry. And, it, it, you know, you conclude your own presuppositions. That's what it is to be. To be rational is to conclude your own presuppositions. It's a beautiful thing. But there are very few things, um, despite all our emphasis on metrics in, you know, 2016. You know, if, if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. Well, that, in fact, is true in one sense, but in another sense, there's so many things we can't measure. So I want to suggest to you that one of the ways that you can know things, or one of the ways that you can learn about yourself is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes to you at Emmaus, and he says to you, poof, I thought you were smarter than this. And he starts with the Law and the Prophets, and he opens their ears, which is to say he opens their hearts so they can understand Moses and the Prophets. And then in the breaking of the bread, he appears and disappears. He disappears and appears. At Jesus, he's a funny guy. So if you want to find Jesus now, you go to the Eucharist. Because didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked? You know, part of the deal is, is, you know, you hold the host up in front of somebody and you say, you know, the body of Christ, it either is or it isn't. There's, it's a binary choice. And you say amen or not amen. But let me just say to you, if it really, really is the body of Christ that hung on the cross, the whole world is different. Everything is different. How you live your world, how you see the world, how you react to the world, what you aspire to in the world. Everything is different. Your life and your death, everything is different. So you just, you know, at one point or another, you say amen to it. You know, that's, that's, that's how life, but life works that way in so many ways. You, you say, and I say amen to things all day long, to what you hear on the news, to what other people tell you, to how people treat you, right? You say amen to things all day long with much less evidence than a resurrection. So, you know, we'll get, we're going to, this is where we're going over the next, probably by the end of next time. I just want to try to get you comfortable with the fact Christians are so afraid that they don't know things. You know, um, <laughs> I had a friend who had a PhD. And um, they went to the pediatrician, and he made a big deal always about having a PhD. He was a doctor. And uh, they went to the pediatrician for the first time when his daughter could talk. And, uh, you know, apparently that day there was a new doctor who came in. They got the kid sitting up here. He says, you know, good morning, I'm, I'm, I'm Dr. Jones. And the kid, without missing a beat, says, my dad says a PhD is a real doctor. I'm like, well, okay, you know, but that, there was a time when that was true, of course. Uh, you know, the queen of the sciences was theology because everything was seen to be, everything was inside God. God wasn't inside everything else. So God was the boundary, not, not the world. So you have to remember, um, you know, that's been out of style now for a couple of centuries. But, you know, in the church, we measure time kind of in a view. So we'll see what happens. Um, so if you're keeping score... I'm on, I'm on the second outline at point number seven, okay?
We always think that our, we're so unique. You can open a Bible to Exodus 3 if you want. Uh, you always think that, we always think that we're so unique and our questions are such interesting questions and nobody's ever thought about the things we've thought about before. Well, you know, Moses asks exactly the same question that, that you all ask often. So the first question we sort of talked about is why should I believe? You know, why should I believe? And the answer is because Jesus has loved you. And if you let that love have its way with you, you will find out. There are, you, can give, you can give some reasons. So let me just, you know what, I'm going to give you the end of next time because this is going to be sort of important. You need to distinguish between proof and evidence, okay? This is just, if you, if you kind of do this one simple thing, you're, you're, you're um, you know, you can't prove God like you can prove uh, something in math. This is not how, math is set up to be a closed system so you can prove things. That's the point. The point is, is it's, it's, and you constantly are working the kinks out of it so it all works together. It's a glorious thing. Evidence is quite different, or reasons. You, you, most of the things you do in your life, you don't do because of proof, because it's a lock, because it happens over and over again. In fact, I would say, you know, just kind of knowing people, 95% of things that people do, do certainly aren't done because of proof. And it's getting smaller because the world is not a rational place. One of the biggest mistakes every vicar makes is you take these very nice people and you send them to seminary, and then they, they begin to think that you know everything works like this. A follows, I mean, B follows A, and C follows from B and A, A, B, C, and everything just sort of works out. You, know, you have these very nice people who, who they, they come here and they think that the world is rational. And then they meet all of you. And then I always have to say to them, you know, I mean, I mean, no, you're, people aren't rational. You know, people aren't rational. They pretend they are, but of course, everything from, you know, you know, everything from from you know, videos that are 15 years old to leaked emails proves to you that people aren't rational. Just go home and read the paper. I just I go home, and pick up the New York Times, read every article. They take about six hours. What for need of witnesses, right? Or just go home and randomly click through YouTube for an hour, which is the greatest proof there is of original sin. People, I mean, these are real people doing that stuff, really, to each other often, right? You know, people are not rational. We're, you know, when, so when people get all bent out of shape because, oh, you can't give a proof for God, I'm like, meh, you know. You can't give a proof for most of it. I can give you reasons. I can give you reasons for why. And at some point, you stack up enough reasons like you do in a courtroom, and then things become beyond a reasonable doubt. That's how we talk, right? Which is very different than a mathematical proof that concludes its own presuppositions. This is evidence and proof are two, are, are two, are two different things. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the empirical use of mathematics is different than, than, than giving reasons. I guess I, I want to say it that way. So just kind of, just kind of, just kind of hold that as you start to say, "Well, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe that." I'm like, "Well, don't believe it then," because, and this is what you want to be angry about, because they don't sort it out with you; they sort it out with Jesus. And if you can get past the point, and this, pr- frankly, has been probably one of the three things we tried to do most beyond fixing this microphone. One of the two or three things we've tried to do in this congregation is to get people not to be angry. So your affect isn't angry as soon as you meet somebody. You know, we still get pockets of it, and people always want to, you know, occasionally, not always, occasionally you still get somebody who wants to get up close and, like, just straighten you out, right? You should lose that. 
because it's not yours. You know, somebody said the other day, vengeance is mine, um, says the Lord, and I'm the Lord's vessel of vengeance. I'm like, well, the first half was pretty good. <laughs> but the second half, that's not in the Bible. You're making that up, right? The Lord is going to sort it out. Your job is not the sorting out. Your job is the everything to everybody everywhere through love, without anger, without fear. It's one of the reasons pastors fail so much. If you just line pastors up, angry and afraid are two of the primary characteristics. Right? It's just not that helpful. Right? If you're angry and afraid, it's not that helpful. If you're always nervous about maybe things aren't true, it's not that. Just have a good think through it and then get over with. And at some point, you know, you just say it. You remember the story. I've given it to all of you in, in, in uh, I've given it to you all again and again, the catechumen. You remember it's the Orthodox story where the kid raises his hand at Union Seminary. I had a big fat scholarship when I left seminary to go to Union Seminary to stay with a guy named David Lott. So I think he's passed away now. But this is not that long ago. So this is about the mid-80s. He's, I, what we went, Kirby and I went and met with him. And he had us for drinks at his beautiful apartment overlooking the Hudson. And, you know, that's when being a professor was like. And he said, you know, you have this. I said, you know, should I come? And he said, well, there are two troubles. I'm the only Trinitarian left on the entire seminary faculty. This is, this is Union Seminary in New York. And he said, he said, the liberation theologians have made all our donors so angry that they're actually selling the apartment that I'm living in, so enjoy it, because this is, this is my last year. And he said, he said your, your, your scholarship may not be good after the... He said, did you notice they guaranteed it only for one year? I said, he, I said yeah. I said, I said, I thought it was me. He's like, no, that's everybody, because um, uh, everything is being sold to pay the bills, right? Well, this is just the Lord's judgment on places when you no longer believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, anyway, you remember the story from there where the guy went and gave a lecture, and the guy kept bugging him and saying, Hey, you know, I can't say this. I can't say this. And then finally, the, he said, what, what do I do? What do I do if I can't in good conscience say the creed? And, the, you know, the, the, the priest says to him, well, you just say it. It's not your creed, you moron. It's the church's creed. Your creed? That's not, this doesn't belong to you. Do you thought this belonged to you? This is church property that's being given to you as a gift. It's not your creed. Settle down. I was thinking of that guy in stripes. What's his name? For Schlesselman when I need him. Anyway, so, um, yeah, it'll come to me. I'm getting older. This is why I can't teach confirmation anymore, because the kids and I have not seen the same movies. It doesn't really, any movie reference, I'm like, they're just like, you know, so. All right, anyway. Yes, sir. Pastors, it's hard to get in. You know, they just wind them up, they keep going. I look at myself and look at another person, and when I realize that if I were in their position, I would do the same thing, therefore, I share in their sin, and how can I be judgmental? And that sounds rational. No, it does. That is good. I, I don't know if you share in their sin. You might, if you did the same thing, they would do. Yeah, I think that's a great reason to be empathetic toward other people. You know, this is like when you can't see that um, we're all in the same boat. You're, you're exactly right. So, I, no, I, I think it's, I think you're right. You can't, and you know, we do have, we're very fortunate, right? I mean, we're very fortunate to have a church. We're fortunate for parents who brought us up, fortunate to be able to read, have books, things that went before us. So, no, I, I agree with you. It helps not to be 
you, we're wasting time being judgmental. It's not given to us, right? Um, Jesus didn't say judge your neighbor. You know, he says love your neighbor as yourself. All right, the burning bush. So first is, who am I? But now, Moses, very stark question. Why should anybody believe me? If you look in Exodus 3, and this is kind of your problem too, and my problem, which is, you know, why should anybody believe me? All right, hold on here. Exodus 3, 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? What do I say? Hey, why should they believe me? And God said, um, I am who I am. Say, this is the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Go say all this to the people of Israel. And then he talks about my name being there forever. But basically, you know, Moses is saying, hey, I'll go back there, risking his life. But if I go back there, you know, why should anybody believe, you, believe me? And the answer, I mean, something behind the answer is, hey, Moses, it's not about you, right? They're going to believe me. Right? It's not about Moses. Moses had difficulty speaking. Moses was a murderer. Moses you know, has a mixed background. You know, he goes from being a cast-out child who should have died to being um, raised uh, in pag- uh, the pagan court of the Pharaoh to being cast out and being a shepherd again. Why should anybody believe him? Because he's got a great resume. It's actually not that great, although it turns out to be used for good. You know, He studies you know, 80 years to be, do 40 years of good work. But why should, why should people believe me? And I think sometimes you, you have this maybe too, and this maybe you worry about this, you know, would anybody believe this? You know, could you actually believe that Jesus is in that host when you hold it up? Amen. Does it, is it really true that that child who was baptized by splashing water and putting the name on that child became a child of God? Is it really true that the stuff you knelt down with today, that when you stood up it wasn't there anymore? When the pastor says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is, that, is it actually true that you left your sins here and you're going home without them? Is it actually true? Or do you still need to work those off or worry about them? Right? See, all these questions are bundled together. But the question is not, why should anybody believe me? The question, I mean, do you, the Lord is sort of pushing him, pushing him off of that. He's like, here's what you do. You're just the messenger. Take him and say, here is God's name. And it, of course, is a name that's been long talked about. But it's the antidote to your worry. This can be translated in a lot of ways. Um, I am who I am. I will do what I will do. I will get things done. It has this, it comes from the, from the word to be or for being. And so it has this sense that um, the Lord is the one who's driving history to its end. So, and I just, as an aside, you know, this is the antidote to all your worries. Um, if you could be like Karen, not worry about anything, right? <laughs> easy, buddy. Easy. Easy, Dave. Easy, buddy. If you could be like Karen and not worry about anything, why doesn't she have to worry about anything? Because she knows the Lord has got it all under control, right? So this is the antidote to your, to your troubles, that the Lord is driving history from one end to another. And he's not just, this is the last thing on that page, he's not just this abstract Lord who lives only in a shrine in the hill country or even only in the temple in Jerusalem. You know, what is, what's, what's the difference here? The Lord doesn't bind himself to a place. 
He binds himself to you. What does it mean that you have the, 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 what does it mean to say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means when she was baptized, that means that the Lord located himself here. He put himself here. If you want to know where God is, and I know this is how you feel, Tom, if you want to know how God, what, what, if you want to know who God is, look at her. Oh, thank you. Oh, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Ah. Uh, Hey, just as a pause for that, I saw the most interesting thing. I wish I'd have thought of this. I, w- I wish I, so for, oh, I have to sit down to tell you these kind of stories. You know, for 30 or 40 years, the, you know, the trouble has been with the pronouns about God. And so, you know, even this week I was reading something from kind of a farther right Catholic thing. And, you know, they, they say, and God says about God's self. And I'm just like, shut up. But I should just say to myself, Young Hopkins posted something, uh, which I think he might have stole from somewhere else. But, you know, credit where credit is due. See how things always come around. He said, you know, in this world where everybody gets to choose their gender, why can't God choose his? And I thought to myself, this is a genius. Because I spent most of my you know, time at Princeton in the PhD program um, with people who were quite annoyed with the fact that um, God would be male. Um, you know, there are ups and downs to this, of course. But in some case, I just want to say next time I bump into this that the issue's now been closed. You know, everybody gets to, you get to choose your own gender. See, it's only the, the same people who would argue you could choose your own gender would be the same people who could argue that um, God is genderless. I'm like, hey, that's not fair. Everybody gets to choose their own gender. God chooses he. Now let's move on to our next big theological problem. Okay? <laughs> and that's, so that's just, I mean, it just, it only makes sense, you know. We'll see how that plays. Thank God I don't have to go to a seminar and try to defend this on Tuesday at 1. All right? Now, because St. John really loves you, I just want to say, next time the sermon is boring, so that would be when I'm up next, not the, you know, the young guys who are so clever. You notice that, um, see, this all fits together. This is just, I wanted to put this in just as an aside because I want to make sure that you have this extant. Exodus 3, the Lord says, I am who I am. I will do what I will do. I will get done what I want to get done. I'm going to push history to the end. I am. Of course, you know then that Jesus, again, does this throughout the Gospel of St. John with the I am sayings. And then, of course, you know that because we're St. John, start to put it all together, that's why the windows are all I am windows. Did you ever put all this together? Because the I am sayings are in the Gospel of John. And so the windows at St. John Lutheran Church reflect these I am sayings. Next time the, next time the um, sermon is boring or something goes off kilter, you, know, you start in your back left as you're facing the altar, and you go all the way around, right? starts with the baby Jesus being born. It goes all the way around through his um, life, ends up with seven is... Uh, resurrection. Eight is I am the vine, the church, you're the church. And then that shoots you right up the, toward the, through the font, toward the altar, on the way to Emmaus, to the victory window, right? Did you know this? Did you realize this? Because the I am sayings are in St. John's Gospel. That's the reason these windows are here. It has to be true. So I just give you these. Um, when, when Jesus says, this is one of those things where people say Jesus never claimed to be God, claimed to be God all over the place. One of the chief places he claimed to be God when he said, you know, when did you ever see? Well, before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what he was saying because they took up stones to kill him. That was blasphemy. Jesus locates himself in the burning bush. Often you'll see an icon of the burning bush with Jesus' face in it, right? So who is God? 
God is the one who is clearing your way. God is the one who is in relationship with you, and God is the one who is clearing your way. And when you waste a lot of time in the church or as a pastor or in other ways, when you, when you waste a lot of time about thinking, why would anybody believe me or what do I have to get done? Here's the deal. We've been through this a zillion times at St. John. Get up every day, be thankful for the baby Jesus, make the sign of the cross, say your prayers, head for the Eucharist, tithe and give alms, be generous, and do your work as a forgiven sinner. Boom! And let Jesus take care of the rest. That's all from the burning bush on. You're not running the show. You're still not running the show. Even though the last 300 years told you you're running the show, even though Adam told you you're running the show, you're not running the show. This is your job. Your job is to get up and sign up for automatic giving with Zeller. That's your job. How'd I do, Zeller? You there? Do we got anybody? Okay, I don't know. Yeah, okay, so that's, you know, that's what we're, you know, this is your job. Your job is to get up and live like a Christian. That's your job. And not to worry about it. I mean, once you say, I'm in, once you say, thank you to the Eucharist, once you say, do you desire to be, Lydia Grace, do you desire to be baptized? Yes, I do. Once you're in the water, your whole life changes. You belong to God now. Here you go. That relationship defines who you are, and that relationship defines what you do, Right? And it's a relationship that goes all the way back to the burning bush. It's just that you happen to go to St. John Lutheran Church, so you get to look around and see it, you know, every, every week. And I sort of gave you, in case you can't find them, you know, from above, I'm from the Father, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the door, I'm the bread of life, I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life, I'm the vine. So I'm just at the bottom of eight. Number nine, this means you're dear, you're chosen, you're embraced, you're valuable, Jesus is in love with you, right? That's how the I am things go. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this is what happens. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves you. And when the Son loves you, he loves you back to the, fa- to the Father as your Father and loves you back to the Spirit as your Spirit. That's what happens. Now, Life gets difficult, right? And sometimes people don't believe. And, you know, this is number 10. You know, why should, I, why should I believe you? Or why should I believe in God? Or why should anybody else believe you? Or why should I say the creed? Or what could possibly make the creed true? Well, I would suggest that you might just want to experience it. You know? There's something about Love that is divine. And frankly, people say it all the time. In fact, I haven't checked up on the hurricane stuff this morning, but I'll bet you go home and you could, you know, watch the news and there'll be somebody who's helping somebody who will say, this kind of help is otherworldly, right? There'll be people who are doing things or giving things up. We don't hear much about it because the other stuff is much more attractive, you know, hating and shooting and political intrigue and scandal sells more newspapers and you know but the reality is to be really well loved by somebody else is an experience which is beyond human beings you know you can try to argue that um, you know human beings can manufacture this and that of course we've done this over the past couple of years this is the whole thing about the new atheism where they love the things of the church but without God. So they admire the church for its community. 
They admire the church for its beauty. Um, they admire for the church for its interest in justice, for example, or even in spirituality, that there's something that can't just always be measured. But the new atheism is to do, you know, you have church at, on Sunday at 10, but without God, right? Well, the part of the problem in living in time is that you and I may not live long enough to see that crumble, but it will. I mean, the church has seen bigger challenges than this, and the church has lasted. This is all about evidence. This is all about reasons. This is all about where you're going to put your chips. This is all about what you say amen to, right? Well, the church has held up for a long time in the way of love, and it continues to hold up. And we had majority status, and now it looks like we're going to probably have minority status, and then we may have a status worse than minority status. We will see what happens. Um, but you should always remember that, you know, evil is a flashbang. And eventually it, it, um, the work of the evil one goes to dust. You just have to, you can't really see when it's going to break, but then when it breaks, it breaks into a thousand people, and then, uh, into, a, into a thousand pieces, and then you're safe. That's always the thing to remember in any challenge by evil, that at some point evil, evil this is the demonic attempts to scare you uh, with with a, with, with a lot of firepower. And what's the worst that can happen to you? The worst that can happen to you is they put you down on a beach and they cut your head off and put it on YouTube. And then the joke on them is that your last words is Jesus is Lord, one after another, after another, after another. And the last guy who turns out not to be a Christian says, I'm with those guys. So you have the 21 martyrs of, of, uh, of Libya, right? Look. You have to relativize this life. You have to relativize what you're going through. When you do, everything then, it becomes obvious why you love. It becomes obvious why you tithe. It's obvious why you give alms. It's obvious why you're kind to each other. It's obvious why you can live without fear and without anger. It's just flipping obvious. The problem is it's so difficult, which is why we all need each other. And one of the glories of this place is we're getting better and better at that, Right? We get better and better at living without that and kind of supporting each other. And do not let it in the door. I'm just telling you, you know. I'm not always going to be here. Some of the older people in the room are not always going to be here. Kind of you next group. You know, you've got to figure it out. And one of the things you've got to figure out early, and hopefully without suffering too much, is that you just can't let that kind of thing in the door. This is all in the creed. I mean, come on, this is it. God get, has a relationship with you. He loves you. And when he loves you, he tells you who you are, and he tells you who other people are, and he tells you what it is that you're meant to do. That's the whole point. This is the whole point of the creed, right? So you have the infrastructure. Pastor Bukes preached today about gratitude. Gratitude flows from memory, remembering who you are, remembering there was a burning bush, remember there was a Jesus who said, I am. That's where this comes from. And it's not natural, which is why you come every week and see it again and again and again. Apparently the Lord thinks that about seven days is as long as you can go without being exposed to it, or you will break to pieces, right? You will in some way be diminished. If you aren't in some way recalibrated by this community around the Eucharist, your life will come apart. That seems to be the Lord's timing. I don't know why you would argue with him. It's not your Eucharist. It's not your creed. You just say it. You just go. You just tithe. You just give alms. You're just kind to other people. You just do it. And you let the chips fall where they fall. You know, tr stop trying to game the system, right? That's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what this is saying. Just follow along, and life's going to be great. Just do it. People have done this for 2,000 years in all locations, across all situations. And what is held up in the church is the best of the church. 
just just do it. It doesn't belong to you. There is something about this that um, is, in fact, divine. All right, I tell you what. Um, I don't know if I'll do the boy from Nain next week, but I'm right at point 12 in the second one. Um, I just gave you that as, a, as an example of you know what happens to people sometimes. If you've ever seen somebody when they put the paddles on them and brought them back to life, or if you've ever been around when they do CPR on somebody, if you've ever been around when people come back to life, they have a particular attitude, right? It is a combination of what in the heck just happened and thank you so very much. It's very interesting if you're ever fortunate enough to be around that when they, you know, they shock somebody and they come back or give CPR and they come back. It's a remarkable thing. Your life, when people say my life has changed, it's actually true. Their life has changed. Why? Because they're grateful because they know they're dependent, and they know that somebody else who was in relationship with them, who actually touched them, who loved them, brought them back. That's exactly the reason you believe. It's, it, is, it is evidence. It is reasonable. It's not a mathematical proof, but it's okay, because most of life doesn't work by mathematical proof. Which is not to be angry, and I'll just make sure about this next week, to be angry with either reason or science or math. All this stuff the, between Christianity and all this other stuff, it's ludicrous. It's a waste of time, right? It's, it's, the fire is misdirected, but we'll talk about that next week. I've got to go to church. Uh, love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you next week. Love you guys. See you next week. Take, you can read ahead if you want. Think about it.